Okay, so who shall pray for us as we uh, open God's word together? Go ahead. Up. Come on up, Donna. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so we're starting this new series on the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. Some of us might find it a little helpful to kind of know what led to this list of characteristics that Paul gives to the church in Galatia. So I'm just going to like give you the like cliff notes of the cliff notes on the book of Galatians. Okay, so Galatia is a city that had a lot of people who weren't Jewish who came to faith in Jesus because of Paul and missionary journeys. And so Paul has set them on their way, got them started as being a community of new believers in Christ. And then some Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus came to the town and started telling the church there that they needed to convert to also to Judaism. So it wasn't just enough to believe in Jesus. They also had to start following the law and all the practices of the Jewish church there. And so Paul writes to them again, and that's the letter that we have in the book of Galatians, because now what's happened as a result is there's kind of like these two loud groups of people talking there. The first group says, you got to follow the law. They're kind of like the law enforcers. And then there's another group of people there who are saying, no, we've been told that we're free. And so they're kind of like the rule rejectors. So there's the law enforcers and the rule rejectors. And Paul's writing them to say, yeah, we are free, but we're not free for whatever we want. So we can't enforce the law because that's not the love of God and the freedom. And we can't reject the law or the rules that God has given us because those show us how to live in love and be be good people in the world. So how do you find the middle ground? Paul says, instead of hanging everything on the law and hanging everything on your sense of freedom... Why don't we be spirit embracers? Embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And you'll find your way through these two kind of extreme attitudes. So if you're tempted to be guided by the law and want everyone else to do it the same way as you, or if you're tempted to say, ah, throw it out the window, it doesn't matter. Well, maybe the Spirit's saying there's somewhere in between those two things. That's a better place to be. In fact, uh, throughout the, first, the chapter that this list comes from, he repeats that we are called to be people who walk by the Holy Spirit. We are called to be people who are led by the Holy Spirit. And we are called to be people who keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So walk by, be led by, and keep in step by the Spirit. And your life will find its way between these two 
extremes. Be walking, being led by, keeping in step with, and your life will look a certain way. So Paul says that, and then he says, this is what a life not doing that looks like. And he gives this list. And then he says, by contrast, this is verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Some people translate the next one as generosity or goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. So there's no law about not doing those things, and you're free to do them. See how it kind of like balances the two out even there in that statement? So what Paul is saying to them, and this is what rule followers and freedom lovers have to both understand, this is the challenge to both of them, is that it's not about us. It is about the presence of God in us. It is about having the Spirit have fill us with the presence of Christ, the one who dwells within us. The fruit of the Spirit, so the fruit of the one who is leading us, the fruit of the one who we are keeping company with as we walk with him and keep in step The fruit of the Spirit are these characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. I think I left a few out, but you know what I mean. We'll get through them. The fruit, singular. The fruit, singular. These aren't separate things. This is a package deal. Because these are the characteristics of the life of Christ. And when the living Christ, through the Spirit, is the one present in your life, this is the fruit that will grow. This is what will happen. This is what will come out of your life. These aren't just things that we add on to what we're already doing. We don't set our course for our activities of the day and then we say, how could I make that more loving? Or how can I express more joy? Like those are good questions for us to ask. But what Paul is saying is that is not the way that we will actually grow in these things. What Paul is saying is that it takes the presence of the living God and being in step with that God to make those things grow. Follow me? So John Stott, you might know him, he was a pastor in England, very well-known, prolific writer and teacher, a gift to the church. He used to pray this prayer every morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.
So we made those into some bookmarks. If you want to pick one up at the Welcome Center after church, you can. And if we run out this week, we'll make some more for next Sunday. So this prayer that John Stott offers every day helps us to see again that this is not just something that we add on, but it's something that we understand that God does. And that as we spend more time with God, these things will come out more and more and more. So, the first one, the first fruit of the Spirit that John, I mean, sorry, John, yeah, the, the Apostle John talks a lot about love. Uh, we, we, we've been there and done that, and we've sung it this morning, haven't we? Uh, the first on this list of the fruit of the Spirit is oh, love. And when you think of love, besides one John, there's a text in Scripture that most of us think of. And it's what? Oh, that's, that's good too. God's will love the world. That's a good one. John 3.16. Is there another besides John, though? 1 Corinthians 13. That's right. So let's turn there together to see this picture of what the love of God looks like. And keeping in mind, right, this sense of freedom to do whatever we want and balancing it with this fact that we need to follow the law and finding that middle ground of where the Spirit is actually leading us in our life. And see if you can't see how that plays out in this passage. So we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to read the first half or so. So this is Paul, same guy, writing to a different community. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions... And if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not reject It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Love never ends. Love is a top of the list for Paul. And it's on the top of the list in scripture, isn't it? God is love. For God so loved the world. In fact, the way that Paul talks about love in all of his letters, it's as though, well, we're not, it's, it's not as though. We're meant to see love as this final watchword. This final watchword for the Christian community, for the way that they conduct and live their life. 
love for one another and love for all. Remember just a few weeks ago, Gem Sunday, the love for all that we're meant to have. And in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is getting at some of the things, like the rule rejectors and the law enforcers, that can tempt us to be trumped by love, or can tempt us into fooling ourselves that we have chosen the higher good. When what God is saying is the highest good is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So if I speak like a prophet who declares God's truth with such boldness and power, but I don't have love when I do it, I am just a noisemaker. We know those people when we watch protests, right? Especially protests that go against what we're in favor of. And the person with that megaphone. They're just loud, noisy, annoying, anger-inducing, aren't they? And that's what Paul's trying to tell us. If love is not the source and the root of what we do, we're just bombastic noise fillers, adding and not adding noise and nothing of value to the space. But don't we love someone who speaks with boldness and power? Aren't we attracted to such kinds of leaders? The temptation to have somebody who can tell us prophetically, right? So we have these like love affairs, for lack of a better word, infatuations with people who can do these things. But if there is no love present, then where is Christ present? If I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Like, make sense of that. Faith that can move mountains. Like, come on. We need some of that faith. We need to see the witness of people who have faith that God is able to do miraculous things still in this world. But if the miraculous things that we want God to do are not things of love, things for the well-being of others, then really, we've got nothing to give. That's what Paul's saying. If the miracles I want are all the miracles about me, and self-love is important, right? But if the miracles I want are all are powerful things of God opening doors for me, for my goals, then maybe they're not as loving as we think they are. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand my body over, that's a, a euphemism for saying being willing to die for your faith. If I give all my possessions away, like Jesus told the rich young ruler was necessary for him to enter the kingdom of heaven. If I am willing to die for what I believe in, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. Because God is love. And if we do not have love, then we do not have God. 
when we do those things. So the law enforcer who says, this is what it's supposed to look like. Give away your possessions to the poor. Be willing to die for what you believe in. But if those are just things that you are doing because they're the right things to do, and not because you know the love of God, the security of your salvation and your final resting place and your eternity with him. You don't gain. You don't gain it. God doesn't give it to you just because you died for him. God gives it to you because he loves you. And he came to save sinners like you. So the negatives, these things that can entice us because we know what we're doing when we do them. But when we love somebody, we don't always know what to do, do we? But we know we want to do something because we love. And that can be this really frustrating state to be in, isn't it? When you love someone so deeply and you know that they need you. You know that they need help. And you don't know how to give it to them. We are reminded that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist upon its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And then read this last point. Listen to this translation of this last verse. Love never tires of support. Love never loses faith. Love never exhausts hope. And love never gives up. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. To be able to be that kind of person is to be the kind of person who looks continuously and fervently for the presence of Christ in one's life. Who yearns and grows in their sense that they are one in whom Christ dwells. Who seeks to know the will of Christ in their relationships and who draws on the strength of the living God through the spirit in them. For Jesus was so patient with his disciples. Even, even when he had a kind of strong word to say to them, he never said, go away, but continued to teach them what they needed to know continue to teach them so that they could continue to teach others when he was gone. And Jesus was so kind to others who had been told they did not belong. Kind enough to eat at the table of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus never boasted in himself, but only proclaimed what the father had sent him to proclaim. Never pointed to himself, but only spoke the truth of the message of God, his father, and our father too. 
He never insisted on his own way. Even if he proclaimed the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, the pictures that we have on the wall. I am the light of the world. He proclaimed that, those truths. And then he asked, who do you say that I am? Then he gave the rich young ruler a picture of what his life was by what it needed to be when he asked that, when he told them to sell all of his possessions because he knew the state of his heart. But he didn't force the rich young ruler to follow him. He proclaimed the truth and did not insist. The only time one could argue, I think, that Jesus made his way in and pushed for his own way and was irritable was when he cleared the temple of the tax of the sellers. And even that was a loving act because it was a loving act for those who are not, who are being separated and not able to worship God because they couldn't afford to buy what was being told they had to buy to be able to worship and be with God. So even that we could argue away. Jesus never rejoiced in wrongdoing and he did not rejoice in the suffering and the downfall of his enemies. He was not resentful. And he rejoiced when people experienced and came to know the truth. He tells us the parable of the wedding feast in heaven and many other stories like it that teach us to have joy at the coming to faith. So if love is not the source of what we do, but truth is, we have to pause and think. If love is not the source of what we do, but righteousness is, we have to pause and think. If love is not the source of what we do, but our own status is, then we really have to pause and think. In fact, it's a pretty good habit to be pausing and thinking throughout your day about why you're doing what you're doing. It's a pretty good habit at the end of a day to start thinking about the fruit of the Spirit as a sort of character inventory. So we're not going to be thinking about application in the sense of like, what can I do to be more loving? But I want you to think through this series of the application of what, like, so how you apply the message. That's what I mean by application. When you're going through your day and the rest of your life is where am I seeing the love of God? Where is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, both in my life and in the world around me? When I see those things, I want to take note of them. Because by taking note of them, you draw near to the God who is the source of them. By taking note of them, you are encouraged by what you see. By taking note of them, you can think about the scripture that reminds you or you're reminded of when you see somebody living that way. The part of Jesus' life that that models and shows to you. 
And you can spend time in his word as a result of that, drawing near to God. And then you can write it down. So each week we're going to have a shape that matches uh, the theme, the the characteristics. So this one's love, so it's a heart. We're going to write those down, and we're going to fill our tree with the fruit of the spirit that we see and identify in our lives and in the world. So it could be a person that you think really shows the love of God. It could be an incident that you read about in the news. You don't have to sign them. You don't have to, it's anonymous. We're going to fill this tree up with the fruit of the living God in our midst because God is alive and alive things grow healthy fruit. Alive things produce fruit that is good and nourishes the world, that is good and nourishes each and every one of us. And though our love does tire of support, though our love does sometimes lose faith, though our love does get exhausted and forgets how to hope, and though our love does give up, the love of Jesus, the love of the Father who created you, the love of the Son who saved you, the love of the Holy Spirit who is with you, never tires of supporting you. God never loses faith in his work in you. God never exhausts from giving us reasons to hope. And God never gives up. And we can trust that what God sets before himself, he always accomplishes. So go look, go see, go feel and experience the love of God in the world. Can you do it? All right. So if you want to start today, there's baskets in the back, uh, and you can just leave them on the steps here, and we'll get them put up this week, and we'll see how this, how our eyes are adjusted to see God. Sound good? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that all of our days we may live in your pleasant presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our crosses and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In your name we pray. Amen.